The subject I want to talk about today is called the tabernacle and priesthood. The tabernacle and priesthood. Probably the main lesson you're going to gain today is that whenever you talk about the tabernacle, you automatically talk about the priesthood. Whenever you talk about the priesthood, you automatically talk about the tabernacle. You're going to see that they're connected. For the record, in this sermon, we identify two main sections of the book of Exodus. In other words, I like to define the terms, I like to define my perspective, my bias, my perspective. That way you know where I'm coming from. I assume you will probably agree with my perspective on this. But if you don't, you'll at least know where my perspective is coming from. I divide the book of Exodus into two parts. The first part from Exodus chapters 1 through 18 is I call redemption from Egypt, coming out of Egypt. But then from Exodus 19 through 40 is the covenant with God. And of course the Old Testament history is invaluable because you know, we are a New Testament church. Church of God Big Sandy and Church of God International, we're a New Testament church who values the Old Testament. If, if someone's watching online for the first time and stumbles across this website and you're wondering, what does the Church of God International believe? Well, the Church of God International is a New Testament church who has great appreciation for the Old Testament. And I think we want to make sure people know that. Uh, we, we don't live solely in the Old Testament, but we, we enjoy the history of it and what it projects for the future. <clears throat> because the covenant idea that God initiated in the Old Testament has been transferred to us today, and we keep it with different things. We don't do the animal sacrifices. We don't do some of those things. But we do understand the spiritual ramifications of what was said. <clears throat> in this sermon, we identify three areas of the Mosaic Covenant. And the commandments are listed in Exodus 20. We, we enjoy the Ten Commandments. We value the Ten Commandments. The judgments come later in Exodus 21 through 23. And the ordinances come later in Exodus 25 through 31. And so a lot of people who Bible students hear about the commandments, the judgments, and the ordinances. And these are contained and well contained in the book of Exodus. <laughs> in this sermon we identify four areas of the ordinances. The ark which is found in Exodus 25. It talks about the Ark of the Covenant and the history of that is very interesting to see. We're not going to cover a lot of that today, but I wanted to put that in the package so you can study it later on and see how it connects. Also a part of the ordinances is the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is listed in Exodus 25 through 27. The priesthood is listed from Exodus 28 through 30. And the Urim and Thummim is found in one verse in Exodus 28 through 30. Uh, sometime, one we might enjoy, it might put a bug in Van Stinson's ear, who's a, one of my favorite uh, Bible teachers. I really enjoy Van Stinson, and you're blessed to have him twice a month. And uh, you should hog him as much as you can, because he's, he's, a, he's a blessing to you. But sometime you might ask him to cover that, because again, he's being a good student and a good teacher, he can make some of those things very plain. But we're going to focus on the two ordinances of the tabernacle and the priesthood. Now, Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9, well, I'm going to turn there. <clears throat> Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9, start talks, lists about the gathering the materials for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a pattern, and the pattern was taken, well, how God has a heavenly pattern. He had down this physically. And they very, he, very precise in how he set up the, the tabernacle, very precise in how he set up many of these things in the Old Testament. And again, we see from the book of Hebrews, it was a pattern of the heavenly signs and the heavenly location of which we're, we're looking forward to, that we're looking forward to the heavenly kingdom. 
I want you to notice verse 2 because here's a principle of God, Exodus 25 verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, shall take my, you shall take my offering. And of course we know that's also repeated, that concept is repeated in the book of 2 Corinthians. We need to be cheerful givers. And I would encourage you, as we look at this history, we derive Christian living principles. And one Christian living principle is, be a cheerful giver of anything you do. Be a cheerful giver of your money. Be a cheerful giver of your time. Be a cheerful giver of your emotion. Be a cheerful giver of yourself. Sometimes we get in such, such situations where we suffer and we have to do some things begrudgingly. I mean, there's some certain things, the, let's say the federal government will impose on us and we have to then sometimes deal with things we don't like. We sometimes deal with rules we don't like. But instead of being someone who's complaining all the time, uh, you know, I'd like to analyze, well, do I want to move away from this government? Do I want to move to Costa Rica? Do I want to move to Australia? And then when I realize, no, even as bad as I see certain things in this government are, they're, they're against religion and can be more so, against, could someday be against the Church of God, I don't want to leave. This is still the best option for me personally. And so thereby, instead of us always just being bitter and complaining about life, it's best to analyze where we're at. But most of all, <clears throat> we should be cheerful and willing in everything we do. You know, Christ, when he was, on this, was suffering, remember he had a prayer saying, Father, if it would be possible to remove this cup. So we know realistically there's some things that, are, that we can't be totally cheerful about. We learn to be like James. James says we rejoice in trials. That's our goal, to rejoice in trials. But I'm saying most of life should just be willing and cheerful, whatever we do. And if we have a tough situation ahead of us, we have, with God's help, we work our way through that. Anyway, it's a great principle there about being a cheerful giver. <clears throat> Verse 9. According to all that I've show, I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattering of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Again, very meticulous in wanting to go ahead and prepare that tabernacle. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to read about the ark, except I, let's go to chapter 25 here, and let's go down to verse 21 and 22. As the ark was built, of course, it was an ark of certain wood. It was, it was laid over with gold. Uh, it was set up just perfectly with the mercy seat. We look in verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now to make, the, make it simple, the mercy seat is the lid. If you're making a box, you know, of course it was a fancy box, fine wood and gold. You make a box and you put a lid on top of the box. And the lid was the mercy seat. Of course it had special design and special purpose for the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And later on when we look at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews lists what was put into the ark. And of course that was, those are significant lessons as well. <clears throat> but verse 22, and verse 22 will show you the, the beauty of the New Testament. will show you the beauty of the New Testament. As I said, we're a New Testament church who values the Old Testament. But back in the Old Testament time, he said, at the ark, he said, there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from the, between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, of all things I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. That was the place to talk to God. Now you see how much better the New Testament is? 
You didn't go look for the, the ark before you prayed today. You prayed wherever. Some of you prayed, uh, got out, some of you prayed in your bed. Then you got on your knees and prayed on your knees. Some of you may, t- may have taken a walk outside today and t- started praying while you were walking. Uh, some days you pray on a different day than the Sabbath. You'll pray mowing. You may be mowing the yard or working in your garden. You may be praying. You didn't have to go to one certain spot to talk to God or to one certain spot to hear from God the beauty of the New Testament. But back then, that ark was very significant. It was the meeting place. It was the meeting place to hear from God. So again, again, we value what was done there, but we appreciate what we have in the New Testament. Of course, on the handout, it talks about the mercy seat, the lid. I have a listing of the various names of the ark, a couple different names. Uh, it's a receptacle for special items. We'll read that in Hebrews 9 later on. And, of course, we already mentioned that it was a meeting place of where he would meet with people. Uh, let's look at Leviticus 16, verse 2, to reinforce that lesson. <clears throat> Leviticus 16, verse 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at, at simply any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Of course, this is specifically talking about the Day of Atonement. By the way, uh, the Church of God, there's certain things we've studied through the years that make us pretty strong in, in certain subjects, and some things we're not as strong at. The example I'd like to point out is the Church of God is really strong at understanding the suffering and death of Christ. Very, very strong, because we keep the Passover every single year. We keep the Days of Unleavened Bread every single year, so we have clear focus on that. I, don't, I wish the Church of God would be a little stronger about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we really have no holy day, unless some people use the wave sheaf offering from the Old Testament. Somehow they'll look at the wave sheaf offering and use that to look at, study that to help with the, the resurrection. I recommend the Church of God stronger in understanding the resurrection and, and focusing on it. By the way, just for the record, I don't believe you should be involved with bunnies and eggs and things like that, because to me that is not the picture of the resurrection. While many sincere people do that, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to put them down. You know, I know this audience is like myself. We love the resurrection. We don't want any of the other things attached to it that might be cute for kids, but it really doesn't focus on the message of the resurrection. But you see what I'm saying is you, you're, real, you're real strong in study of the suffering and death of Christ. I think, we, and maybe personally you're doing a better job of looking at the resurrection, but I think we need to do a better job of that without any of the pagan attachment or none of the pagan symbols. Just focus on that. But see, this... You understand a lot because you also observe the Day of Atonement. See, a lot, a lot of things. You understand about when the high priest went in once a year. Because you've, you've, some of you have kept 10 days of atonement. Some of you have kept 30 days of atonement. There might even be some of you who have kept 50 days of atonement. So because of that message every single year, that's something we're real strong at. And sometimes if you're talking to a, one of your friends in the community... Something you can take for granted because of the holy days and, and what the holy days have helped you learn. Sometimes you know, they don't have that same background. Oh, by the way, just for the record, there's some things we, we can learn from them too. When they're right, they're right. And we don't, want to be, we don't want to be condescending looking down at anybody. We want to appreciate what we have. And we want to be willing to learn when they're right, they're right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, 
Uh, I'm not going to go through the brief history of the ark. You might want to do that. I, I, met, I left that for your study. That's something you can look at the ark. And that's real interesting how God allowed it to be captured and, and God allowed it to be taken and taken. So then we come up to the, the priesthood. <coughs> the priesthood. And we'll look at... Uh, oh, let's look at Exodus 29. Remember, when you talk about the tabernacle, you talk about the priesthood. When you talk about the priesthood, you talk about the tabernacle. Exodus 29, we'll look at verse 42. We're now into the, into the priesthood section. There, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you. Okay, again, that was something that they had their offerings there at the tabernacle. Uh, again, again, for anyone listening in who's not familiar with the Church of God, we learn from the old system. But in the New Testament, Christ is the tabernacle. Christ is the sacrifice. You know, Christ is everything. And so we think all these things point to Christ. And, uh, but you know, back then, at, in that system, back in that system, they would do an offering at the tabernacle, and that's again, God said he would meet with them to speak with them. By the way, not only is Christ the tabernacle, but we are the tabernacle. And so thereby we meet with Christ every single day, regularly through the day. But back then, there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle should be sanctified by my glory. And it was. It was sanctified when God would, God's presence was there. But think about this. Are we, are you and I, are we sanctified by God's glory? Do we allow in this human flesh, with these human emotions, with, since we have God's Spirit, do we glorify God by His presence in us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week in Big Sandy in the combined service, and which you talked about up in Texarkana at the combined service, as we dwelt on the Holy Spirit coming. <clears throat> Verse 44, So I will sanctify the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also sanctify both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priest. I, dwell, I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. They will know that I am the eternal their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the eternal your God. If you think back to not only God's interest to dwell among his people, can you think ahead to Revelation 21, when it says the new heaven new earth comes? Remember what he says? At that time he says, I will dwell among my people. God wants to dwell among us. Uh, someone could say, was he dwelling among all of us today? Well, in a sense, he dwells among mankind, but not as personally as he does with the first fruits. And of course, different denominations think they're the first fruits. We'll let God be the judge of that. But you know you're a first fruit. You know that God's entered your life. And you're a first fruit not because of anything you've done. Your first fruit not because of your great intelligence, your great desire, your great accomplishments. Your first fruit by the mercy and grace of God. But as a first fruit, then you look at the Bible and say, "What does God want me to do? What are God's expectations of me?" And you study your Bible. That's why we observe the seventh day Sabbath. We don't we don't observe it to put others down. We don't observe it to think ourselves better than anybody else. We just read this book and we say, "That's what our Dad wants us to do." And you know, we're saved by grace. The thing is, I'm a haver. My last name's Haver, H-A-V-I-R. I had, I had nothing to do with my birth. But as I came into the world, and my parents could say, since you are my son, here's what you do. You will clean up your room. You will mow the yard. 
you will clean up dog poop out of the yard. And whatever they, because you're a haven, those tasks change as your age. Here's what you will do. And our parents had the right to tell us what our jobs were. We could negotiate, and we can negotiate with God, just like Abraham negotiated with God. By the way, the best prayers are teenagers. They're the best prayers. They pray exactly like Jesus. When he exa- and see in the Old the New Testament how Jesus said to pray, teenagers pray the best. I love Abraham's prayer. Will you wipe out the city if there's 50 righteous people? How about 40? How about 30? Don't get mad at me. I want to come to you one more time. Don't get mad at me. How about if there's only 10 or 5? Would you wipe out the city then? It's not, it's not wrong to negotiate with God. And I tell young people, is understand that our parents get worn out. When, when, you're, when your children or grandchildren wear you out, and sometimes parents or children, grandparents say, sorry enough, I can't take this anymore. But you and I cannot wear out God. You can bug them to death. You can bug them. See, 16-year-olds come up and they say like, Dad, when am I going to get my motorcycle? When am I going to get my motorcycle? When are you going to buy me a motorcycle? What kind of motorcycle is it going to be? Dad, when, 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 when? Now, they wear us out. But they, that's the way God told... That's the way that Christ taught people to pray. The little widow. When am I going to get justice? I want justice. 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 And the, and the unjust judge said, Give her justice. She's wearing me out. I'm tired of her voice. I'm tired of her attitude. Give it to her. And that parable says how to pray. And the, the other parable is about the guy who came for, for biscuits. It's midnight. I need some bread. Why? Why? Why didn't you go to the store and get it? I had guests come in. I had guests for bread. I, I need some bread. Go away. I'm in my pajamas. Go away. That's the way Jesus taught how to pray. So again, they could come that one time where we can go regularly to the throne of grace. Okay, what I gave you uh, for visual effect... And again, for those at home, you can, you can get one. Just go to your maps and go to your charts. And you can see how the tabernacle was set up. One year, we have a feast site in... Our congregation has a feast site in Myrtle Beach as the CGI. And in fact, some of you probably went to this years ago, maybe 10 years ago. They had a, a, a setup of this supposedly lifelike uh, over acres. So I saw someone nodding your head. So you saw that? It was great to go, wasn't it? But to go and see how the tabernacle was set up. We had a sermon at the feast last year that was really interesting that you might want to study. It's interesting how the tabernacle was set up. It starts out, in the inside of the tabernacle, it starts out with gold, precious gold. And now, because of the weather, you know, rain and and wind, different, it builds, first of all, with gold, then other materials, and finally it gets different carpeting. And the very top one's kind of like a tarp. I know I'm, I'm making it more modern, but the top one is not very uh, expensive or precious. It's more to protect. Think about that for a second. How do most people look, how do most people project themselves? They project themselves looking good on the outside. Botox, toupees. Uh, they look. They want to look good on the outside. And what did Jesus say inside? They were like decrepit old tombs. The tabernacle started out on the inside had the finest of gold, the finest materials, 
And as, as they had different layers of the, of the carpeting on top of it, the final one was more protective against the weather. Not fancy looking, more protective against the weather, which is such a great example of how God wants us to be on the inside, the right people on the inside, and as we lose our different facilities and gain our weight or whatever we do, it just the inside stays strong and close to God. But you can use this and you can look at other places how the tabernacle was set up. And then I uh, move over uh, two pages. You know how the story was in the Bible, how uh, David, David kind of felt a little guilty. Where David said, uh, you know, I live in this nice house and God lives in tents. Because the tabernacle was kind of an elaborate tent. So again, uh, Solomon's temple was built up. And inside Solomon's temple was a holy of holies. And then you, you, can, you can check that out. Now, it gets real interesting here. You go to the mixture here. The mixture in the middle is Herod's temple. And again, you can study Herod's temple. Again, at home, you can find it on your own. You can study Herod's temple. But you see in Herod's temple, number one is the Holy of Holies. And what day did the priest go in the Holy of Holies? This audience knows because you observe the Day of Atonement. Yet a lot, a lot of really good students of the Bible aren't aware of that because they don't have that yearly reminder. But once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Uh, so Holy of Holies is number one. And you see number two is called the Holy Place. And then 2A is where the veil, actually two giant tapestries were hanging down. And in that, in that, let's go back to Matthew chapter 27. Years ago, you know, those of you who have been to our building, uh, the, way, the reason why we built our building in Big Sandy is we wanted to serve the community. Most places have a sanctuary and a fellowship hall. This kind of, kind of mixture here they have in this facility you're meeting in, they have the, the, the retractable wall there. This is the sanctuary, and then back there's more the fellowship hall. Some, pl some places have them in two separate buildings. We have ours together. We have our sanctuary and our, our, our fellowship hall, one big room, and that's why we can serve. And in fact, tomorrow there's a huge wedding. One of our members is getting married. And so, in fact, they've already started decorating, and it really looks, really looks nice already. And when they meet in church this afternoon, uh, it's going to be decorated like a, like, a, like a beautiful, beautiful castle. And uh, they ask if they can set up early. We said, sure, you can set up early, as long as it doesn't interfere with our church service. And, and so it didn't. They made sure of that. But, you know, we have, we have the sanctuary. In our, in our, on our stage, we have curtains. One day of atonement... I, 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 speaking, I parted the curtain a couple feet and then I called up a young person from the audience, a teenager from the audience, a middle-aged person from the audience, and a senior citizen from the audience. It was prearranged. I, I told them that I was going to do that, but the audience didn't know that. And I brought them up and some, some were men and some were women. And as I was giving some of the background, I let them go between the curtains into the back area, typifying they now had access to the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was not going to just be one person once a year. You all, we all have access to the Holy of Holies. We all have access to God.
See, because what happened in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, when Jesus died, Jesus, when he cried out again in a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil inside the, the Herod's temple was torn in two because that was very symbolic. In fact, I, I imagine the high priest at that time could have figured out, uh-oh, I'm out of a job because now he, he was going to be replaced by the great high priest. Now let me mention something to you too that would, can be very helpful to you as you deal with friends who have slightly different opinions. You have such similar things you believe, similar truth you believe, but some things are different. Okay, uh, Think back in 30 or 31 A.D., some people with the churches, God used to say it was 31 A.D., some say it's 30 A.D. 30 or 31 A.D. when Christ died, and when all that happened, the temple wasn't destroyed until 70 A.D. So you have a period of 40 years or 39 years where the church of God was, really didn't need the temple, but the temple was still in place, and guess what? Brethren still went into the temple. In fact, that was some of the controversy. If you read the, the letters of Paul, Paul was, was basically saying, you know, that the temple's okay, but you really don't have to go to the temple anymore. And he was taking a lot of heat from the people who said you still have to be circumcised. See, there was a conservative element in the church that said you still have to be circumcised. And, and the, finally they had, the, they had their conference in Acts 15 where they got together not to determine truth. Conferences don't determine truth. God determines truth. Conferences determine what the group is going to do. And sometimes people use the phrase new truth. Well, truth is truth. It may be new to some people, but it's not. You know, truth is truth. Every church that has even a doctrinal committee, the doctrinal committee doesn't determine truth. The doctrinal committee determines what that group is going to do, how they agree to work together. That those apostles and elders in Acts 15 agreed and said, we don't feel that God requires circumcision. You know, God had made that decision already. They just realized it. And so they said, we, our association, we're not going to require that because we don't think God requires that. What would have happened if they'd come away saying it was going to have circumcision? Well, I personally think Paul would have left the association. I don't think Paul would have said, uh-oh, I don't believe that, but I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe Paul was cooperating, saying, come on, fellas, we, gotta, we need to talk about this because circumcision is not required. And they all came to a conclusion that it was not required. I don't know if all, but a majority came to a conclusion it wasn't required, and so that's the way they move forward. But think about that. From 31 A.D. to 70 A.D., People were not all on the same page about what they believed. But brethren, they all had the, the same important things together. They had the same basics together. But some people still had more emphasis on the temple, even though it wasn't required. And again, they, they weren't kicked out of the church because of that. Let me make a modern example. One of the, we love the Ten Commandments. We love the Fourth Commandment. Not everyone in this room keeps the fourth commandment the exact same way. And that's okay. Some of you do things a little differently in your homes 
than others of you do in your homes. Some people go out to eat on the Sabbath. They feel that's a liberty they have. Others in a congregation feel like they don't think that's something they should do. So thereby, uh, people lovingly love each other and cooperate. Uh, I know when our kids were small, that was always something we would talk to the other parents who had kids the same age to make sure we were on the same page of what the kids would do on the Sabbath. We didn't judge those who were more strict than us or more liberal than us. We just wanted to communicate so we can try to have our values and their values mix where possible. And that's what you all do as a congregation. That's why you're a healthy congregation. You're a healthy congregation because you love each other. Marriages, men and women do not all believe the exact same thing. If, if a husband's wives believe the exact same thing, one of you is irrelevant. One of you is insignificant. But you have two strong people coming together, committed based on the commands of the Bible, based on the instruction of the Bible, and you work and share together. You, with, you have the power of the Holy Spirit blending together. You have love blending together. And that's the way a congregation is. A congregation doesn't all believe exactly the same way, but you, based on love, you have so much in common, and the little differences. You just you will find ways to work together. But that's the way it was in the, in the New Testament church. The veil of the temple was ripped. The temple was still around. And so some people were saying, that's not required. The veil of the temple was ripped. That's not required. And others would say, well, I'm going to that temple anyway. And they'd say, okay, fine, great, great. You didn't have to go to the temple, but great. If you want to go to the, It's not going to hurt to go to the temple as long as you don't make the temple an idol. Like that's you have to worry about that. You don't don't let the temple be an idol, but if, so there's things like it's things we do differently. We don't want any idolatry to come into our life, but so we can learn from that example about how the the veil of the temple was torn in two and how it opened new things. Let me check my time here. Okay, I'm a little bit. Let's go back. To, let's go to the book of Hebrews. I spent the rest of the time in the book of Hebrews. It's interesting. Which came first? in the book of Exodus. The tabernacle was mentioned first. The priesthood was mentioned second. Okay, that's the way it was in the book of Exodus. In the book of Hebrews, it's reversed. They're connected, but the priesthood is mentioned first and the tabernacle is mentioned second. But they're connected. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. Let's look at some verses about the priesthood. Remember, they're connected. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He became our high priest. I don't worry about Aaron's family. I don't worry about Aaron's lineage. I don't worry about Aaron's genealogy. I worry about Christ being our high priest and watching others help him. All, actually, all of us can help him in our different functions in the body of Christ. He continues on, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. I don't look for any human being to be an apostle. And the one thing I love about the CGI is you don't put a lot of stock in the, in the importance of men. You have different men who have fine functions. But if you remember... My first boss in the ministry was Charles Gross. When I was sent out from the college where I was trained, he was my first boss. So that go a long way back, and he was a great first boss. And uh, so I, I have a relationship with him, and I value him. I value his approach. I know he's, 
I know he's somewhat retired. He tried to retire, but you wouldn't let him go. So he, he's, still, he's still active because he has a lot of gifts to give. So I'm glad he's still active. But that's why I, I remember one of the board members asked me, Charles is going to retire. Who do you recommend to be take his place? And, of course, I'm happy to give my opinion to my friends. And uh, this is not why it happened, but my opinion was, I think Van Stinson should be the one to, to take Charles's place because Vance has a lot to offer. He, he has a little different strengths than Charles. In fact, that's why I keep, keep Charles in the mix, but Vance is there. And there are others who a lot of people contribute. But, see, you never looked at Charles as the, as the head apostle. You don't look at Vance Stinson as the head apostle. That's good because other churches do that. You know, other churches follow the model. And forgive me for those who are Roman Catholics. The Church of God does not want to follow the model of the Roman Catholic Church of having a Pope. There are some branches of the Church of God who do that. CGI doesn't do that. You have people with gifts serving, people with gifts serving and serving the brethren and contributing. But by the way, we all have gifts. We all have gifts. You all have gifts. Men and women, you all have gifts. And if you let those gifts be a matter of pride to you, shame on you, because you can no longer serve. As I mentioned, I think in Pentecost, uh, the more gifts you have, and you have more than one gift, by the way. You have gifts, and it's good to find out what your gifts are. You should not have gifts to brag. You should not use your gifts to condescend. You should not use your gifts to put other people down. In fact, the more gifts you have, the more thorns in the flesh you'll have. And the more thorns... Why does God give you thorns in the flesh? To keep you humble. Because if He keeps you humble, your gift can be used to glorify Him. If you don't get, if you're filled with pride, your great gifts do nothing to glorify God. They glorify ourselves. So again, uh, sometimes people say, "Well, Dave, you, you try to encourage people to recognize their gifts." Absolutely. Aren't you trying to encourage them to be vain and prideful? No, the exact opposite. You have gifts, but you also have to let God channel those gifts for the service of Him, the service of His gospel, the service of His body. And that's why, again, I know, I know how the CGI works, Church God International works. Is They want people to use their gifts. You know, I watch what they do in Tyler. They bring on the Sabbath. They bring people in. You know, they're trying to get, they want people to use their gifts and here as well. And so that's not a matter of being pride or being better than anybody else. It's a matter of service. So we have an apostle, and we have a high priest, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot experience, sympathize, excuse me, with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we can go boldly before the throne of grace. He understands. He cares. Let's go. I'm not going to read chapter 5 or chapter 7, but let's go to chapter 8. One of the beautiful things about the book of Hebrews, you know, in some of the speech training we have among the church of God, there's what's called a specific purpose statement. At the beginning of your message, some, some messages have a lot of information, but you don't know where they're going. And so a lot of the good training among the church of God is to let the audience know where you're, get them in a direction, try to be organized. And that's what I try to do with the handout. Well, the book of Hebrews, right in the middle of the book says, just in case you're missing what I'm saying, here's what I'm trying to say. So if, if you want to argue about what the book of Hebrews is about, there's no argument. Here's what he says, verse 8 verse 1. This is the main point of what I have been saying. 
We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. In other words, there's no argument what the book of Hebrews is about. The author is saying, we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Verse 2, he's a minister of the sanctuary. Remember I said when you talk about the tabernacle, you talk about the priesthood. When you talk about the priesthood, you talk about the tabernacle. They were connected in the book of Exodus. They're connected in the book of Hebrews. He's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected not men. The true tabernacle, that's why, again, we value the Old Testament, but we are a New Testament church looking to see the magnification how the priesthood is involved today and how the, the tabernacle is involved today. Now let's spend a little time talking about the tabernacle. Chapter 9. Let's talk about the tabernacle. We talked about the priesthood. Thus indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the, the lampstand, the table, and the showbread. And that's called the sanctuary. Of course you have the, you have the map, you have the graphic you can check later on but behind was the second the veil part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all I repeat again you understand about the holy of holies because your annual observance of the day of atonement but in the holy of holies was the golden altar of incense was the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were, was the golden pot and the manna Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now the last part of verse 5 I think is a nice little phrase. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I can't do justice to explain it as well as if when you see it, it's going to be much better than I can describe it. And that's true about any of us who speak in sermonettes and sermons or interactive Bible studies. We can try to give a picture of something, but we can't give the full detail of what it's going to be. Just, we're just not capable of that. Some people are better at painting a picture, a word picture, and, and make things clearer. We try to do the best we can, but we can't wait for the magnification. I can't wait for the kingdom of God. It's going to be wonderful. Now, let's see, in verse 6, Now these things had been thus prepared by the... The priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the service. There was regular service done in the tabernacle. But in the second part, verse 7, the high priest then went alone once a year. He had to have blood involved. He had to make an offering for himself and an offering for the people. Now you can automatically see, since Christ our high priest does not, make, does not have to make an offering for himself because he's never sinned. Again, the spiritual magnification is so far superior to the physical. But I, I'm, I'm thankful that no, uh, that old system, the high, the high priest went in there. Look at verse 11. Christ came as high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of the creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling on the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more would it purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So again, it talks about the, well, the, the high priest and the tabernacle together. 
Now the last part of the sermon, which probably is the most important part in my mind, because while I like studying history, I like studying details, I'm a, I'm a Christian living kind of guy. My whole thing is, how's it going to affect our life today? All that I just told you, which is valuable straight from the Bible, how's it going to affect our life? What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do later today based on the truth that I gave you? So I call it the therefore. In fact, I think Vance last week mentioned that in in Big Sandy. Uh, It's interesting. If you want to go through where it says therefore, therefore means because of what was said, what are you going to do about it? What's your next step? And we're going to look at some of the therefores after we talked about the priest in the tabernacle. Let's look at Exodus, excuse me, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, and I'm not covering every therefore, but that'd be a good study for you. Therefore, brethren, because of the priesthood and because of the tabernacle, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Christ. I hope you boldly approach God's throne in your prayer, knowing it's from the blood of Christ. You have a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil which was his flesh. And of course, again, because you observe the symbols of the Passover, we take the broken bread at the Passover service, picturing his broken body. So again, all these symbols help us understand what's going on. So we have a high priest over the house of God. Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You were baptized. You had water baptism. You had baptism of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. By the way, some churches come together and their work is what they do at church. It's very nice for those of you who who make the coffee. It's very nice for those of you who set the hall up. It's very nice for you who do the sound system. It's very nice for those of you who record. That is an act of service for each other and for others to see later. But this is not your work. You come here to get your batteries recharged. And when you get your batteries recharged, you go out and do your work with your family, with your friends. Now you say, well, you may not do a lot of talking and preaching. There's a time for talking and preaching. Most of what you do is your example. You have a ministry of, you have a relationship ministry. You have a personal ministry. Ministry just means service. You have, a, you have functions of service in your family, on your jobs, in your community. And you come here to get your batteries reached. You don't come here on the Sabbath to feel better than anybody else. You come in here to be with your friends, to have nice potluck if I give you enough notice. <laughs> no, you, you, never, you never have to have a potluck for me. And I, I, deserve, I deserve what I got for not giving you any notice. But I appreciate your kindness. You would have me a potluck. I'm happy, I'm, I'm happy to be around you and talk to you and, and be with you today. Again, see, I get my batteries recharged, not only in my home congregation, but when I travel, boy, I get my batteries recharged. The different congregations I, I get to visit, uh, I go there to help them, and they help me just as much as I help them. There's, again, the traveling, the traveling clergy, the traveling speaker is a good thing. It's a, many churches do that. It's a good thing. Because it's, 
you're not the old shoe. You know, back at home, they 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 may not appreciate me as much as you do. I'm just that's human nature. That's just human nature. They still like me. I, they express they like me, but when you come into an area uh, once every eight years, you know, sometimes sometimes I can say things that. Uh, Someone else would say, maybe I said it in a different way. I went to, one year I went to the feast in Barbados as a guest speaker. There were two of us guest speakers. This was interesting. Uh, it really worked out good. I did not know what had happened in that, in that church down in Barbados. The lead pastor there had committed adultery. It was a very unfortunate. It really caused a lot of trouble. I knew nothing about it. And the other guest speaker knew everything about it. And that was really wise the way they did it. So I got up at the Feast of Tabernacles and gave a message about King David. <laughs> if I had known, I would never have talked about it. If I had known, I would have stayed away from it thinking, I don't want to mess this up. But because I didn't know about it, I just preached the truth. Yeah. And it's what they needed to hear. Because afterwards, one of the elders came up and said, do you know what's going on down here? I said, not a clue. <laughs> and they started telling me, I was like, oh, well... Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to caution or be careful. I was just trying to preach the truth lovingly, but trying to preach the truth. And so the point here is, I know nothing about what's going on in your life. Van Stinson didn't tell me what's going on in your life. I don't know if one of you is a horrible, horrible person. I don't know. I know nothing about it. So if I happen to say something that steps on your toes, let's give God the credit on that, and not Van Stinson. But again, you might say, well, David, did you know what you said that, how it affected this our congregation? No, I have no background information. I'm just trying to be help. I'm just trying to be helpful. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help point you to God and encourage you. That's all I'm trying to do. And so, again, we you have a chance here to get your batteries recharged, and you go out and then you can stir up people with love and good works. And look, notice the next verse: not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. But we should exhort one another so much more as we see the day approaching. You get your batteries recharged here as you come together on the Sabbath day. It's a great thing to do. And again, I'm glad you do it. I'm glad you have a good, healthy congregation. I'm glad you have good practices of how you keep moving forward. Uh, I'm not going to read Hebrews 11, except I'll look at... Uh, now we won't look at Hebrews. We'll look at Hebrews 12. Look at the first word in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, because of the tabernacle and because of the priesthood, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Pretty plain what the message of Hebrews is. Uh, we can look down to verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which we speak to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So if you find God has little ways of correcting us, and I always listen for the voice of God. I don't hear voices. I don't actually hear audible voices. But I'm always listening for the voice of God. I listen for the voice of God in everybody. 
most of the time, the voice of God makes sense. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When you hear something, I think most of the time, God is logical. And you might say, well, isn't he logical every time? Well, let me give you an example why you may not find God to be logical. Remember when they came out of Egypt? Now, God was logical, but they didn't have the whole story. When they left Egypt and they started going on the path they were going on, it is my belief it did not make sense where they were going. And I believe there were some people there who were familiar with geography and familiar with things who were like, where's Moses taking us? He's taking us into a death trap. Why are we going this way? And I would have probably been one of those doing that, by the way. I would have wondered, why are we going this way? Now, if, I, if we had all the facts, God's way is logical. We didn't have, when we look back in hindsight, we knew why God took them that way. I'm saying sometimes in your life, God will take you away that doesn't seem to make sense because you don't have all the facts. When all the facts are revealed to you later, you're like, oh, now it makes sense. Having said that, I believe that most of the times God's way makes sense right away. If it doesn't, it's like, hmm, I'm going to think about that. You don't, you don't want to go against God's instruction. But if, when I'm listening to the voice of God, I listen, I listen to people inside the church of God, but I'm, I, I don't listen only to people inside. The, I listen to everybody. When people are right, they're right. When they're wrong, they're wrong. When people inside the church of God are wrong, they're wrong. You know, I, some people inside the church of God are like the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, isn't that, isn't that a pretty good guy to be like? The Apostle Peter, he's like, he's out there, man. He's out, he has strong opinions. He was out there. He was very vocal. Some were more timid, you know. Some of the 12 apostles were more timid. In this room right here, there's sort of people here who are more out there. And some of you are more timid. And sometimes that's a personality thing. And sometimes people think that the more timid ones are more, are more meek. Well, maybe, maybe, they're not, maybe they're not more righteous. Some of his person, Peter, Christ said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Now, first he said, well, I'm going to wash your feet. You're not going to wash my feet. <laughs> and then he said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Wash all of me. That was, that was Peter. Yeah. And a couple people from our past, uh, those in the past, names like Herbert Armstrong or Ted Armstrong, they were kind of that way. They were out there. And so when they were right, they were very, very right. And when they were wrong, they were very, very wrong. And I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate either one. Because that's you and me. When I'm right, I'm, I can be very, very right, but I can be wrong. And you, you're right many times, but sometimes you're wrong. And so how do you deal with people? Well, I, when I listen to people and they, when they say something that's really profound, I think, wow, that's really good. And if, by the way, the way you look at me is the way I look at you. If you, if you say something to me that I think is a little bit I'm not sure about, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to run you over in the parking lot. I just may think, eh, I don't know if that's right or not. Let me, i got to think about that. That's how, you, that's how you deal politely with people. And so to me, you know I hear a lot of God's voice when I, when I take little widows to the hospital. It's amazing when you find out how many of the doctors pray and how many of the nurses pray. Like I, I'll, take, I'll take this one little widow and she gets a, a PET scan and this other lady, she's about 40, she takes her mother for the PET scan and we just sit there. And she, all she says something like, 
You know, I, I make sure we, we, I pray with my children every single day. Bing! And just to me, it's like that's the voice of God. That's just that's the right thing to say. Not, she may not even do it, but those, those are good words. I don't analyze what day she goes to church. I don't analyze what doctrine she... I don't care about any of that. What she said right there was true. And I come away saying, yeah, I need to remind our brethren. When I give a sermon next week, I need to remind our parents to be praying with their children. That bing! And you know what? Sometimes you hear the voice of God from men, women, old, young, teenagers. Sometimes you hear the voice of God from strangers. Let me tell you why that's valuable. Let's say, you know, I, I met some of you last week over, saw some of you last week over in, in Big Sandy. Say I, I come up to you and I say something to you. You might say, why did he say that? Did he say that based on something I said last week? Did I make him mad three weeks ago? Was that because, the argument we had a, a year ago? Is he remembering the argument we had a year ago? When you hear a stranger, there's none of that. A stranger come up and says something, and it's like, oh man, that was a good reminder. Whether or not God was involved or not, my attitude is, thanks for the reminder, Dad. Thanks for the reminder to that stranger. In the kingdom, God will probably say, oh yeah, I sent that stranger to tell you that. And sometimes he's going to say, nah, nothing to do with that guy. He just happened to say something good. But if I'm giving God credit for good things, what's wrong with that? And there'll probably be sometimes God will say, I sent that person to you. I said, I didn't listen too much. He goes, no, you didn't listen to that one at all. Sometimes we're going to find out how well we are listening to him. But I'm always listening for the voice of God. I'm always listening for God to help us out. And when someone says something good, that doesn't mean you accept their entire belief system. That point is good. That point is truth. And that's why you're not afraid to read anybody's material. Now, I'm not afraid to read anybody's material. However... I'm a busy man, so I'm very selective of who I read. Not because I'm afraid. Don't have to be afraid of anything. You're brethren. You, you, you have God's spirit. You're discerning. You can know right from wrong. So you're not afraid of reading anything. But the fact is you're busy, so you're going to be selective of how you spend your time. Anyway, uh, I want to mention this verse 12 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, this is real important. Again, I know nothing about your life. Strengthen the hands which hang down and strengthen the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, this is the important part. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up in you. Friends, do not allow any root of bitterness to come in. Do not allow bitterness to be a part of your life. And bitterness comes when people have totally wronged you. I mean, you were wronged. You were the victim. But we don't want to be victims. We don't want to act like victims. You were wronged. And the great God in heaven, the great judge, has seen that. And that, that, that doesn't, make it, doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean we, we don't go... I don't, I don't go looking out to be hurt by people... But I'm just saying is, your bitterness will hurt you. Probably, the, if, if, you're, if you know a friend who's bitter at somebody, they, the, the person they're bitter has probably long since forgotten them. They're worried about the Cavaliers and the Warriors game. They're worried about the New Orleans Saints or the Dallas Cowboys. They're worried about getting, doing better on the job. They're not even thinking anymore about the person. 
And if you're thinking, well, they hurt me, they hurt me, they hurt me, that's just hurting you. You gotta, you gotta let things go. That doesn't mean they were right. They, I mean, they were definitely wrong. And we let God be their judge, by the way. We don't get revenge. We let God be their judge. And we recognize when people are trying to hurt us. I mean, I want to recognize when people are trying to hurt me. But the point is, bitterness hurts the people who are bitter. Even though you, even though you have a reason to be angry, you have reason to be, what the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Nothing wrong with being angry, but we have to move on. We have to move on that. So therefore, you know, because of the, because of the, the, the tabernacle and priesthood, do not hold on to bitterness. The final verse, Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. We don't do sacrifices anymore. No turtle doves, no goats, no, no oxen. But we do, we do spiritual sacrifices. And you should look in the Bible. Let the Bible define, don't do a Bible study of what the spiritual sacrifices are. This is one of them. We should have the sacrifice of praise to God. So if someone says, Dave, do you do sacrifices? I don't do animal sacrifices, but I do spiritual sacrifices, and I need to do it more often. I need to be praising God more often. That's a sacrifice that I should be doing. That the fruit of my lips, the fruit of your lips, could give thanks to His name. Anyway, I know I covered a lot of material, but you've got the handout for the rest of it. You can look back to see the book of Exodus, because in the book of Exodus, part of the ordinances were the section about the tabernacle and the priesthood. They were connected. And the book of Hebrews shows they're still connected today, as we look at it from a spiritual point of view, through a spiritual lens. But brethren, I hope as you go through this life, you'll be blessed and benefited by the subject of the tabernacle and the priesthood.